All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Josh Bales from The Well, Boise. With us today, Pastor Jonathan Van Hugan from Dayspring. Brother, how are you? I'm doing fine today. You look good today. Thank you. Yeah. And then there's you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pastor Russ Herman from Cloverdale. How, how I feel you? fine, don't look good, but I mean, that's okay. That's face normal. Face for radio. Yep, I do have a face for radio. <laughs> and then we have a very special guest today, Pastor Matt Masevich from Sovereign Grace Christian Fellowship in Nampa. How you doing? Glad you're here. Thank you. And I, I, I know I said this yesterday, but I got to point out again, you are wearing gang colors today. Brown? <laughs> is that the gang color for the for the Reformed Baptist? Sure. <laughs> so you have a Confession of Faith, 1689 London Baptist Confession. What is that? Well, the Confession of Faith is a confession, that, as you mentioned, is uh, born largely out of um, the Westminster Confession, the Savoy Declaration, so forth. Um, but it is a it is a uh, historical confession of faith dating back to 1689, and it's a lot of fun when you're in a grocery store and the checker says, 1689, what does that mean? And then you start to tell them, and then they get the look on their face like, oh, no. I shouldn't have asked. I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what's great. So around the room, so you, you're London Baptist, 1689. Our church is uh, Westminster Standards. Mm-hmm. And then Russ and Jonathan, um, you guys have the three forms of unity. Yes. So um, Belgic Confession, Heidelberg which, Catechism, which, by the way, I, Canons of I, I love all of your confessions, absolutely. And I think I think that your confession, the three forms of unity, are so pastoral. Yeah. And I just lo- I just love them. I quote them actually from our pulpit all the time. And the reason why we're all confessional is not because we think those confessions somehow are above the Word of God. What we do believe is that they are faithful and consistent with the Word of God. That they're helpful tools. Um, and Matt mentioned yesterday that they're helpful guide rails for us as churches to help keep us faithful to the truths of God's Word. Um, It's so easy to drift. It's so easy to um, start well and not finish. And so the point of confessions is not to to worship the confessions, is not to hold them above the Word of God, um, but we, we confess them because our prayer is that they would help us to pass along truth to the next generation that will then pass it on to the next generation um, so that hopefully um, someday Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant to our churches, mm-hmm. that they, they played out well over centuries of time. You know, the one thing that all of our confessions have in common is, um, and maybe this might be a little too minimalistic, but we all agree on the doctrine of God, that he is Trinity, uh, that he is um, his attributes. We all agree on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all ab- agree on the nature of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we all agree on the nature of salvation, that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So our confessions mm-hmm. actually have much more in common um, than in dis- and I would even say um, there's probably a small percentage of difference. And, and I think the glory of uh, part of the glory of the confessions is that I, as an individual, can't take my church in a certain direction. That's right. The confessions hold us, yeah. hold me, hold the, the. And so right now you have a phenomenon in the United States where pastors determine the, the, the thinking and, and the teaching of a particular church at a particular time. And that's great. When they're godly and grounded, it's not great when they are um, adrift, yeah. and and they can take a congregation with them down a road that's not healthy. And by the time the congregation realizes, wait a minute, what just happened here? 
oftentimes it's too late. Yeah. Where in our churches, the confessions hold us. And so if I preach something and some an elder should come up and say, hey, you were out of bounds. They you, may even you rush went against the pulpit the confessions. if you're a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've been looking through R.C. Sproul's books, uh, Reason to Believe, Common Objections to Christianity, and also, now that's a good question. So um, if you've missed any of these this series, just go subscribe to our podcast. Just make sure you type in The Gospel for Life. So today's question is this. Isn't a person's religion and beliefs largely cultural or familial there is a there is a, there is something to that um, because because uh, uh, the very fact that there are godless nations um, the very fact that there are godly lineages I'm the second generation Christian uh, you know my dad uh, came to Christ and you know post high school when somebody shared the gospel with him. But I'm a covenant child in the sense that I've grown up with it. You know, uh, the question is asking the, in the New Testament, what advantage was there in being a Jew? A much in every way. To them, the oracles of God were given. I grew up with the oracles of God. I grew up with the, I, I grew up with that. You know, in, in one sense, an advantage. Um, but I also, but it is part of God's um, design. To work in family. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what we know about covenant theology. Um, you know, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And he, and and that's to the generations. So there is a, there is a, fam- a familial part of this um, that doesn't. But it really, the answer to that is with God. Uh, he will have mercy on whom He has mercy. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes this is why evangelism can be hard when you're crossing certain religions, um, because it's not just a set of beliefs. It is, along with that set of beliefs, is a culture, is a family tie, that with belief they're going to cut ties with some of those other secondary things, with their family, with the culture that they've been raised in, because um, for so many faiths, the, the faith is intertwined with family and cultural entities. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to be sensitive to that, aware of that. Um, not that we don't talk to people about our faith and, and talk to them about the implications of it, but be, be aware of what that faith will, is going to cost them um, and, and then come alongside and say, okay, this might cost you your family. This might cost you some of your cultural heritage, and then come along and say, "But you get a new family. Yeah, you you you'll develop not necessarily new culture, but you'll have in some ways you will because of the the family and cultural entity of the church. But there is a, a reality to the fact of, as Jonathan said, I was raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the air I I breathed. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about the fact of of my faith." In a in a really serious way until I was a teenager, yeah. Because well, of course it's true. Yeah. That's all I've known. So we might all have been. So you were talking off air about your your Muslim neighbor, and of course I have Mormon neighbors and 
you know, this is a very multi-religious society. There is a sense in which all of us have been exposed perhaps to different scriptures in our family settings or even in our culture settings. But one thing that we all have in common is that we've all been exposed to the book of nature. Scripture says very clearly uh, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Their words go out everywhere. There's no place where their voice is not heard. Um, ever since the creation of the world, God's attributes, his divine power and eternal nature have been clearly perceived by everyone, so they're without excuse. And so though we may have a different scripture that we have been exposed to, we've all been exposed to the truth mm-hmm. of the, the the Christian worldview. So, so nobody can say, so maybe I'm just jumping to the end, nobody can say on the day of judgment, well, God, um, I was raised in a Muslim home or in a Mormon home, and I never heard the truth. Well, actually, e- even if even if you were blind and you couldn't see the glory of the heavens, you have God's word written on your heart that tells you what is right and what is wrong. It accuses you when you do wrong, and it, and it affirms you when you do right. So nobody can say, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that law is supposed to drive us to Christ. There was, a, there was something else I was going to bring out about uh, you know the advantage of being uh, in a Christian home even, or, or actually just the way God works in election. You know, Peter at Pentecost is preaching, and you know, when he speaks of uh, Jesus' resurrection, that and people are saying, "What must I do to be saved?" He he tells them, you know, that that they are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So there's you, there's your children, and then there are those far off whom the Lord is calling. All of them are called by the Lord. Each one of them are called individually by the Lord. Um, but there, but but that promise does have a covenantal aspect that, and that's why there is a certain um, familial quality to this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just take this slightly different direction, if that's okay. But I think that sometimes when, as Christians, we have our children and then grandchildren or whatever it might be, and Christianity becomes, unfortunately, largely cultural or familial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that the the teaching of God's word is that we are intentionally teaching and instructing and passing on the faith um, to the next generation, that we are speaking of the wondrous works of God to the coming generation. We are explaining to them the truths of God's word and the commandments of God and and explaining the, the person behind all of the commands. Um, and unfortunately, largely what I've, I've observed in my own lifetime is that we aren't intentional enough mm-hmm. oh, I agree. about instructing the next generation. You know, what's interesting is um, some missionaries that I've talked to who their mission field is largely um, Central and Eastern Europe, you talk to someone about the gospel of Christ there, and they'll say, what are you talking about? We've had the, we've had the gospel since the 5th century. We, we've been Christians since the 5th century, but they couldn't tell you a thing about what the Word mm-hmm. of God says, or anything about Christ, mm-hmm. but they're a Christian because they were born that way. Yeah. Well, that's that's the same as in the Deep South here. You know, the, in the Bible Belt. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, having ministered there, the Bible Belt is full of cultural Christianity. I think it's wonderful when I encounter people that come from other faiths that are 
have not been instructed well that they're I went about to a, their own faith or about, about their own faith. So I went to a high school where it was prim, predominantly Catholics that were in the school, and ninety percent of them had no idea what Catholics believed. They had no idea why they did what they did. They did it just out of routine. And I'm and in my encounters with them, like they're actually open to the gospel because they have no idea what they believe. And so you can come to them with the truths of God's word and say, "This is where I actually think you're you're off with regard to salvation." Um, and the whole idea of you can't earn your way into heaven, there's another way. And they're not going to push back very yeah. much because, well, they don't really <laughs> – that doesn't mean that much to them. But I had friends in high school that were strong Catholics, and I'm like, it's not worth it. They are so entrenched in their belief system that it they have been actually <laughs> instructed well. They've mm-hmm. bought into um, what their family is, has been telling them. And then you look and you say, I don't think this is going to be a productive conversation. Uh, my Muslim neighbors are, are pretty half-hearted Muslims. Mm-hmm. Well, that gives me hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not invested. Yeah. Um, and I think actually what there are Muslims that look at Christians and say – they're not very invested. I think it gives I, me I, hope. I, you know, I don't think it matters how invested they are. If you look at if you look at the Apostle Paul, was pretty invested. If you look at others, it it really is about uh, the call. I mean, you can read uh, you can read uh, mm. uh, biographical material about uh, different Mormons who have been actually um, given the gospel on their missions. You're sounding like a Calvinist. I oh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> That would be that would be the answer to all of this is that God has the last say. Amen. He has the first say and the last say. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. Don't forget to register for our upcoming conference. Go to ReformationBoise.com, October twenty first and twenty second. This year's theme is the Church. You're not going to want to miss it. This has been the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.